We're going to have a great time together, and uh, hadn't it already been great being in the presence of God? There is no substitute for God's presence, and what he does in our lives uh, is really amazing. It's awesome because uh, every service, you know, you guys may come to a service. I, I get to come to all three services, which is exciting, uh, and every service, God does something different. During the second service, we had, we had healing. We had a, a healing line, and God just healed people, and we saw people be healed, and and then this last service, God said, I want to deal with fear. And it was, man, I was, when I said fear, like everybody got up and come up here, I'm like blown away. You never know how God's going to work. Isn't it great, though, to be a part of something that's alive, that God is alive and moving, and he cares that every person in here has value and significance before the Lord, and God cares about you, and he cares about me, and that's a, that's a pretty amazing thing. Well, this morning, I'm really excited. We're going to begin a brand new series entitled Irreplaceable, and we're going to talk about rediscovering church, because I think sometimes if you've been in church a long time, if you're not careful, uh, we all kind of forget. We just kind of forget why we do church. Why do we go to church? Why do we come together every week? Why do we get involved in small groups and serve on dream teams and do all the different things that we do? And, and the reality is, is uh, I pray that over the next few weeks that we're going to get a fresh perspective. Actually, I pray we get a revelation of the local church and what God intends the church to be. And then we're going to also, hopefully, I know for some of you, maybe you're here, maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you're just visiting and you're kind of filling out, checking out the church thing and you're like, man, you know, I went to church as a kid and I'm not really sure if I want to go to church. And, and uh, so I believe that as we kind of rediscover church together, kind of take a fresh look at what the local church is really all about, I believe you're going to get excited about being a part of what God is doing and we're going to see some great things today. Uh, from the word of the Lord. So let's look together at Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is speaking, and Jesus says this. He said, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what's interesting is that, uh, first of all, you need to understand that Peter is not the rock that Jesus is building his church on, right? If you back up and read the scripture, the verses preceding this, the Bible actually tells us that Jesus asked a question, and he says, whom do men say that I am? And some of them say, well, they say you're Elijah or Elisha or one of the other prophets, or maybe John the Baptist raised from the dead because John the Baptist had been beheaded. And, and they, said, uh, they said, so they're saying all these things, and Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? That's a pretty important question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up, and Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter said, well done, Peter. He said, because flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my father, which is in heaven. And then in this verse, he comes right after that and he says, and upon this rock, I will build my church. So the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is built not upon Peter, but upon the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the Anointed One, the Savior of the world, the Redeemer, the hope of all humanity, and that without Him there is no hope. And so the church is built on the revelation of who Jesus is, right? When you begin to see who Jesus is, that is what the church is built upon. And Jesus actually, in the book of Corinthians, He is called the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation stone upon which all things are built. And apart from Him, the Bible says, nothing can be built that will last because he is the rock or the chief cornerstone. Another thing this verse tells us is it tells us that Jesus said, I will build my church. And that excites me because that is one of the reasons that I consistently say that we're never going to stop growing, we're never going to stop reaching, we're never going to stop expanding. Why? Because Jesus is building his church. 
Right? How many know that when Jesus does something, he so does something really good, right? He, he begins a work and God doesn't stop after a week, after a month, after a year. God never grows content with the fact that there's still one soul out there is lost. As a matter of fact, as long as there's one lost person, Jesus is pursuing that person and he's using me and you, right, as the body of Christ to see the world come to know who he is. Now, the word church in the Greek is really an interesting word. It's the word ekklesia. And, and in its simplest definition, the word ecclesia simply means this. It means an assembly. It means an assembly. That's literally what it means. An ecclesia is an assembly of people that come together for a specific purpose. And if you kind of do a little more background study, you find out the word ecclesia literally means to be called out of your home to assemble together for a specific purpose. And so this morning, every one of us got out of bed Got showers, brushed our teeth, combed our hairs, right? Some of us did, anyway. And, and we all came, that was supposed to be funny. We all came to church this morning. We came to assemble together under the banner of Jesus Christ. See, any assembly that assembles us apart from Christ is not a church, right? The fact that we assemble together under the banner of Jesus Christ to exalt him, to worship him, to serve him, to know him, and to fulfill his purpose on the earth, that's what makes a church. A church is not a building. A church is the assembly of people that come together for the purpose of exalting, worshiping, serving, and fulfilling the purpose of Jesus Christ. So the word church means to assemble together under the purpose and banner of Jesus Christ. So, having said all that, I want to just say this because I want to kind of expose some little myths that we have in, uh, in the South, right? Because how many of y'all know we live in Arab, Alabama, right? And we have some good old country boys in Arab, Alabama. Y'all know that? How many of you are good old country boys? Any good old country boys in the house? Praise God. All right, that's awesome. So, uh, you, you, ever, you ever heard somebody say this? Well, I don't have to go to church because I can have church in the deer stand. And I can have church on the fishing boat. And I, and I can have church at the beach. And I can have church in my backyard. And I can have church in my house. And I can have church anywhere because anywhere I go, I can worship God and I can celebrate God. And I can do all these things. And I can have church anywhere I want to have church. Well, let me tell you the truth. No, you can't. Because the church is an assembly. The church is an assembly. The word ecclesia, an assembly. It is the assembling together of people for the purpose of worshiping, exalting, serving, and fulfilling the heart of Jesus Christ. So you can't have church in a deer stand because why do you go to the deer stand? You don't go to the deer stand to worship Jesus. Why do you go? You go to hunt deer. Why do you get in the boat to catch fish? Why do you go to the beach? I don't have a clue to get sand in your drawers or something like that, right? <laughs> Kelly loves the beach. She likes to lay out in the sun. I like the shade, so you know... It's just we compromise, don't we, baby? But the reality is simply this. The church is the assembling together of believers under the banner of Jesus Christ. Now, you can be in the deer stand, you can read your Bible, and you can pray, and you can encounter God. That's a pretty awesome thing. And you can be in the fishing boat, and you can read your Bible, and you can pray, and you can encounter God. And you can be on the beach, and you can read your Bible, and you can pray, and you can encounter God. But you can't have church there. Unless there's an assembly of people that have come together for the sole purpose of exalting, worshiping, and honoring Jesus Christ. So I just wanted to dispel that myth because I meet a lot of great old country boys that want to have church in their backyard. But in reality, you can't have church until you assemble together with other believers under the banner and purpose 
of Jesus Christ. So isn't it great that we all came here together, right? We didn't come here today for any other reason other than for him. We came here to worship him and to serve him, to open his word together. We came here to grow in him. We came here to experience him. We came here because we want to experience who God is so we can carry who he is out into a world that needs to know him. So the church is the assembling together of people under the banner of Jesus Christ. I saw a sign one time over the doors of a church and it just simply said this. It said, the church has left the building because the church is not the building. We build buildings so we have places to assemble, but it is the assembly that is the church, right? And we're never going to stop, if you've been around Liberty long enough, you've heard me say, we're never going to stop building buildings. And the reason we're never going to stop building buildings is because you can never build a building big enough to assemble all the people that God desires to know his son Jesus Christ and be saved. And we're going to continue to assemble people together and assemble people together and assemble people together. Why? Because God loves people. Amen? And God cares about every person. He cares about you. He cares about me. And he cares about the person walking the street today that has not thought about God in the last five years. God cares about that person too. And so we are the church. We are the ecclesia. We are an assembly of people who have come together this morning and every week through Sunday morning worship, through small groups, through different things in order to come under the banner of Jesus Christ to rally around who he is in order to see his will, his kingdom come, his will be done on the earth through us. Amen? All right, so let me give you our first thought this morning. So the church... The church is irreplaceable. Let's look at that first point on your outline. The local church plays an irreplaceable part in your life. There is no substitute for the church. There's no substitute for the church. There is no other gathering on the planet like the local church. There's no other place you can go like you've gone here today and experience what you've experienced this morning. There's no other place. There's not a movie theater on the planet today that you can go to and experience what we experienced this morning in the presence of God. There is no substitute for the local church. When you disconnect from the local church, I want you to see this. This is huge. When you disconnect from the local church, you disconnect from the only thing. That's a big statement. The only thing that can help you become what God has called you to be. You disconnect from the only thing that God, the only thing that can help you become what God has called you to be. Well, Pastor Keith, that's a pretty bold statement. It's a pretty bold statement because it's true. It's true. Jesus implemented the church. Jesus organized the church. Jesus brought together the church. He said, I want to assemble people together, assemble people together. I want to assemble people together around my name, around my cause, around my purpose, around my heart. I want to assemble people together. Why? Because I'm building my church and I'm going to take the world for my glory through my church. And when you disconnect from the church, you disconnect from the very thing God intended to help you become what he's called you to be. I've been pastor for 24 years. Let me give you an observation in 24 years of pastoring. I have never seen anybody disconnect from the church in the last 24 years. I've never seen anyone disconnect from the local church and continue to grow and flourish in the things of God. I've never seen it. I've seen people disconnect from the church, and I've seen them not backslide. You know, they didn't go back to doing horrible sin, but they stopped growing. They stopped maturing. They stop developing. Why? Because you can't become what God wants you to be alone. We are called, and Jonathan made great, I mean, isn't God awesome? Showed your little small group video. He said, why do you want to be a part of a small group? Because it connects you to a 
family. We're going to talk about that this morning. We need each other, right? We need one another to become what God has called us to be. So uh, Hebrews chapter 10, real quick. The scripture says this, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Do not forsake the assembling, the assembling, the ecclesia of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do not forsake the church, the churching, the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. See, there was a custom already happening. People were getting in the habit of not going to church. They were getting in the habit of not assembling together. They, they said, well, I'm going to go worship God on the deer stand. I'm going to go worship God in the bass boat. I'm going to go worship God on the beach. And I'm going to go worship God in the backyard. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Listen, guys, do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves. And then look what he says. And much, and much more so as you see the day approaching. He's talking about the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's return. How many of you know the day of the Lord's return is closer now than it was then? And how many of you understand if there's ever been a time in history in the United States of America that the church needs to be coming together right now? You know what America needs? It needs the church to assemble. Right? It needs the church to assemble. What happens when the body of Christ starts coming together? I want to tell you what happens. We become a force to reckon with. But as long as we're divided, as long as we're disconnected, as long as we're separated, we are not able to do what God has called us to do. How many of you remember when your kids were little and it was time to get some Christmas presents? You know, to me, two of the most dreaded words on a box at Christmas were assembly required. Right? I mean, you you put together those playhouses and those dollhouses and if you ever, anybody here ever put together a play set, like a big swing set? I mean, isn't that like crazy, like 4,000 screws? Like my house don't have 4,000 screws in it. You're going to put a play, I just want to swing. All I want to do, I want to swing. And that 4,000 screws, right? You got to put this thing in. It is unbelievable. But I want you to understand. I want you to understand, for you to become what God's called you to be, assembly is required. You got to assemble together. We've got to assemble together. We've got to assemble together. And the more we assemble together as a body of Christ, the more we grow. The more we assemble together as a body of Christ, the more we become what God has called us to be. And so we're going to look at three. I want to share with you three reasons, or really three revelations of the church on why me and you need to stay connected. Why do we need to be connected to the local church? Why do we need to be connected to local church? And, and I put the word local in there because, you know, when you accepted Christ, you became a part of what, what has been called the global church or the universal church, right? And we're connected to believers by the Spirit all over the world, right? I'm connected to Christians in Africa and Uganda, and I'm connected to people in Thailand, and I'm connected to people in China, and I'm connected to people spiritually all over the world. But guess what? I don't assemble with them. Right? I may be connected with them, but I don't assemble with them. I don't, I don't live life with them. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't open the word of God with them. I, I can't literally pray with them. I can, I can communicate maybe through technology, but I can't assemble with them because assembly means I've got to get together. Right? There has to be a coming together. So three reasons why we need to be connected to the local church. So three revelations of the church. Let's look at the first one. This is where we're going to hang out today. Number one, the church is your spiritual family. 
Jonathan nailed it on that testimony this morning. The church is your spiritual family. It provides the relationships. Y'all say that word with me. Relationships. Let's say it one more time. Let's say it one more time. It provides the relationships that you need to mature in Christ. Let me ask you a question. Answer this in your head. If I were to ask you, name the top three things, top three things in your life that have helped you to grow in your relationship with God the most. What are the top three things in your life that have helped you to grow in your relationship with God? Somewhere in those top three, you'll have a relationship. You'll have a relationship. I can take you back to mine. I was 19 years old. His name's Patrick Turner. When I was 19 years old, I met a guy named Patrick Turner. I was wrestling with a call to preach. He had just accepted his call to preach, and God put us together. And that young man began to invest in me. He was just a few years older than me, but he was on fire for God. He began to invest in me and stir me up, and God used him. He was a pivotal relationship in my life. And I bet if you think about your relationship with God, and you think about the things that have really catapulted you forward, the things that have really impacted your life for the good and your relationship with God, you can almost be sure somewhere in that top three list, there's a relationship. Oh, I met this person, or maybe I started going to this church, or I connected with this group, and all of a sudden those relationships begin to change you. Why? Because discipleship never happens outside of relationship. God uses people to sharpen people. God uses people to sharpen people, to help us become what he's called us to be. And so when you think about your life, understand relationships are pivotal. So the church is a spiritual family. Let me just say something about the family. The family is God's choice for creating a place of maturity. When God plants a child, he, his desire is to plant a child into a family so that in that family unit, God can then mature that individual into a healthy adult, right? And so I want you to understand God has chosen the family to be the place of maturity. Now, the reality is, is if we took a survey in this room today, most people didn't grow up in a Christian family. And most people didn't grow up in a healthy family. As a matter of fact, the more I talk to people, the more I find out dysfunction is, is everywhere, right? And we're all, let's just be honest, we're all a little dysfunctional, right? But the reality is, is most of our natural families did not provide what we needed to mature. Maybe not to mature naturally, but especially most of our families did not provide what we needed to mature spiritually. See, maybe your natural parents gave you a good education, they just didn't spiritually teach you anything. Maybe they gave you a good financial start, but they didn't lay any biblical principles in your life. And so we understand in our natural family, we weren't all, we probably, probably none of us had the perfect mix of everything we needed. But I want you to understand, God created the church to create a spiritual family where we can come together and find the relationships that we need in order to mature in Christ and fulfill the purpose that God has for us. I'm going to give you a scripture. It's not on the screen. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. The Bible says this, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. No longer strangers, no longer foreigners, but you are citizens with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. The church is your spiritual family.
Amen? Now, 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 17, Paul gives us just an excerpt here at 1 Corinthians 4. And in, this, in these few verses, Paul gives us a picture of what we're going to call the three relationships that everybody needs in their life in order to become what God's called them to be. So let's read it together here. 1 Corinthians 4, 14. He says, I'm not writing you these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. For even if you've had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have, had, you have only one spiritual father, for I became your spiritual father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. And that's why I have sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child, or my son in the faith, uh, because he will remind you of how I follow Christ Jesus just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. So in these four verses, Paul gives us a picture of three relationships. So let's talk about those three relationships. Next point on your outline. So there are three relationships uh, that every person needs in their life, three people that everybody needs in their life to become what God has called you to be. Three people. Everybody needs at least three people. When I say three people, I'm not just talking necessarily about people, individuals. I'm talking about groups of people in our lives. Three people or groups of people that we need in our lives. So let's look at the first one. The first one is everybody needs people that are ahead of you. You need people that are ahead of you in the faith. We call those spiritual parents, spiritual moms and dads. We all need spiritual moms and dads. We need individuals that have gone here where we have not yet gone, that have done what we have not yet done, that have already made the mistakes that we're thinking about making and they've recovered from them and they can help us not to do what they did, right? We all need spiritual parents. How many of you realize that the older you get, the smarter your parents become? Did y'all know that? Right, I mean, when you were a teenager, man, you thought your parents didn't know anything. And then you got into your 20s and you're like, man, they might know a little something. And then by the time you had your second child, you realized your parents are geniuses, right? They are the smartest people on the planet. Why did I not listen to them, right? And so we all need spiritual parents. Why do we need spiritual parents? Because they have already experienced the challenges and seasons of life that we have not yet walked through. They have wisdom. They have experience. They have spiritual knowledge that we do not yet have. And we need people like that. We need people that are ahead of us in the faith. And I just put three things up there that spiritual parents do. Number one, they love and affirm you. See, isn't that what godly parents really do? Godly parents love their kids, right? And, and we need spiritual parents. You may not have had godly parents. You may have never had a parent love you. But I want you to understand, when you come into the family of God, all of a sudden God's going to begin to give you spiritual parents. And there are going to be people in your life, they're just going to love you unconditionally. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you act. It doesn't matter what you say. If you succeed, great. If you don't succeed, that's not really good. They want to help you succeed. But at the end of the day, one thing you can be sure, they love you. And that's powerful. To have somebody that loves you and somebody that cares about you and somebody that unconditionally says, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm going to be here. You may not always like what I say to you. You may not always like how I treat you, but I'm going to be here. And I'm going to be the person you can always count on that's going to love you unconditionally. And isn't that great? How many of you have been through a journey class here? How many of you know Mama Jackie and Kevin? Man, aren't they great parents? 
Aren't they good at just loving you and affirming you? See, they, they, spiritual parents love and affirm you. They care about you. They, they, they have nothing to gain by your success or failure. Nothing to gain. But they, they give themselves freely. Why? Because the love of God is in them and they care about you and they want to see you make it. They want to see you succeed. They want to see you accomplish what God has for your life. And so they love you and not only do they love you, they affirm you. They cheer for you. Right? When you do something right, man, they just make sure they come in there and say, man, I just want you to know, man, that was excellent. That was excellent. That was so good. I'm so proud of you. That was amazing. You know, because if we're not careful as parents, right, if we're not careful when our kids get in their teenage years and, and all of a sudden they get really, really, really smart, right? If we're not careful as parents, we'll, we, will, we will spend so much time critiquing what they're doing wrong that we don't take the time to affirm what they're doing right. And you know what? We all need affirmation. It, it, it's amazing what a little spiritual pat on the back will do. And somebody just say, man, I'm so proud of you. That's what spiritual parents do. They love you and they affirm you. When you do something right, man, they're, they're, they're the first one there to say, man, that was so good. Man, y'all knocked that out of the park today. I'm so proud of you. But not only do they love and affirm you, but they also correct and discipline you. And the fact that they love and affirm you gives them permission to correct and discipline you. Right? And they could come alongside you. And this is awesome because this, this is awesome because we all need correction and we all need discipline. We all need correction, we all need discipline. And correction and discipline is not a bad thing. Correction and discipline is an awesome thing. Brother Curtis and Diane and, and actually Jim and Anita and Forrest and Lisa, they have all been instrumental in mine and Kelly's life. They're all a little season ahead of us. They've done walk through some things we hadn't walked through. They're elders in our church, and we look up to them and we respect them. And they have invested, each of those couples, so much in our lives. And Brother Curtis, who is just an administrative genius, several years ago when we started working together, Man, I was just driving him crazy because he's administrative to the bone and I'm not. And so we're just working together and we're trying to figure out how we're going to work together and, and there's some challenges, there's some tension going on and, and we're fighting through this little tension and, 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 and finally, finally, Brother Curtis came to me and he said, I got it. And this is what he got. He realized there had been some things because of his age and his experience because of his career path and because of the choices he had made, he realized, he said, I realized there have been some things I've been operating in for 40 years that you haven't even learned yet. And I was frustrated because you weren't doing it the way I thought it should be done, but it wasn't because you didn't want to do it right. You just didn't know how to do it. Bingo! <laughs> Man, that's so true. I mean, how many of us in your life, I mean, don't we really want to do it right? I want to do it right. I want to lead my family right. I want to lead this church right. I want to handle my money right. And the reality is, is most of the time, we just don't know all the answers. We've not lived long enough, experienced life enough, read enough books, encountered God enough to know the right thing to do. And so we need spiritual moms and dads that'll say, hey, next time you do that, why don't you just try it from this angle? And next time you say that, why don't you just say it this way? And next time you approach that, why don't you approach it from this side? And all of a sudden, they bring correction and discipline, and your life gets better. And it's like, whoo, praise God for spiritual moms and dads. And then last but not least, spiritual moms and dads, they open up doors of opportunity for you. 
You, you heard it this morning. Eric got up here to do money matters. And the first thing he did, he did it at 8 o'clock this morning. First words out of his mouth, he said, I just want to thank Pastor Keith for this opportunity. Because here's something you need to understand. There are some doors in your life that you can't open. There are some doors of opportunity you cannot open. But those that have gone ahead of you can open them for you. This morning, I was able to open a door for Eric and give him an opportunity to use his gifts and his talents to begin to share the word and grow in the gifts and the grace that God has for him. Brother Rod has opened doors. I'm now traveling all over the United States preaching the gospel, all because Brother Rod, who's my spiritual father, began to tell other people, you need to have this guy come. Oh, he's really good. And they're asking me to come. They don't have a clue what they're going to get. I mean, you know, it's just crazy. But Brother Rod has opened doors of opportunity for me that I could have never opened on my own. Why? Because I got a spiritual father. And see, when you have spiritual mothers and fathers, all of a sudden, not only will they love and affirm you, and not only will they correct and discipline you, but they'll also open doors of opportunity for you, and they'll give you an opportunity to do things you could never do. You could bang on the door all day long and never open, but they can, in one moment, open a door that allows you to use what God wants you to do. Because think about it. I know Kelly and I, as our kids have gotten older and Jessica and Samantha are out of high school and they're moving in their careers and moving in their lives and, and you know, we have purposely prayed and taught and communicated how can we help our kids do what God's called them to do? How can we open doors of opportunity for our children so they can walk in what God has for them? Isn't that what every parent wants? That's what parents do. Now let me ask you a question. What other gathering can you be a part of that will do that? Does that happen at the football game? Nope. Does it happen at the hunting club? Nope. Does it happen at the fishing club? Nope. Does it happen at the beach club? Nope. Does it happen at the book club? Nope. Does it happen anywhere else you can go in this world? No. There is no other assembly of people that come together that provide this element that's called the church. Oh, there may be a lot of people out there that want to tell you how to live their life, your life, but you won't find another gathering of people like the church where people want to love and affirm you, correct and discipline you, and open doors of opportunity for you to help you be the person God's called you to be. You'll never find a spiritual parent outside the church because that's where they hang out. <laughs> You can't get that anywhere else. There's no other gathering. There's no other group that you can be a part of. See, and I, I cringe because I hear people say, well, we're a part of this group, we're a part of that group. And, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with being a part of a group. There's nothing wrong with gathering together. But if you're not gathering together around the banner of Jesus Christ, then you and your children are missing out on what God intended to use to perfect you and mature you in the faith. It'll never happen outside the church. It'll never happen. Now the second element, so we need people ahead of us. We need spiritual moms and dads, but we also need people beside us. We need brothers and sisters in the faith. See, Paul talked to those people in Corinthian, the Corinthian church, and he called them his children, and he, he called uh, Timothy his son, and he said, we are a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's a pretty awesome thing. And you know what brothers and sisters do? Brothers and sisters do a lot of amazing things. Number one, brothers and sisters, they challenge you. 
They, they challenge you. They, they challenge you to, to, to go further, better, faster, stronger than you ever would be alone. Several months ago, I started going to the gym with some of the guys here from the church. We've actually started a small group on Mondays at the local gym, and, and uh, we're working out three days a week, and Chris up there, man, he's like the beast. You know, he's like the Hulk, and, and so we go up there, and we're working out, and Chris, everybody, he's just pushing us, you know, and he's, I mean, we're, he's like Hulk Hogan. We're like Pee Wee Herman, and I mean, it's just like, you know, he's like, come on, come on, you know, we're like, push it, push it, you know, and I'm just telling you, if it wasn't for those guys beside me, I'd go home. And eat a Rice Krispie treat or something, you know. <laughs> really good. But when you have brothers and sisters, when you have people who are beside you, now, now let's think about this for just a minute. Because here's the great thing about the church, the assembling together, when we bring together the body of Christ, this is what happens. No matter how old you are, no matter what season of life you are in, there are people here that are in that same season. If you're raising babies, we got people raising babies. If you're single wanting to get married, we got singles that are wanting to get married. If you're a teenager, we got teenagers. If you're a child, we got children. If you're a middle-aged couple and you're raising older kids, we got people like that. If you're a parent raising grandkids, we got people like that. If you're retired and trying to figure out how to enjoy your life, we got people like that, right? We got every segment of society in the church, which means that everybody in this room can find a brother or a sister. Everybody in this room can find somebody that's in the same season as you. Because it's good to have people in the same season with you. You need brothers and sisters in Christ. Because you know what? Those people in the same seasons with you, they can challenge you because they're in the same struggle you're in. Right? You're trying to figure out how to just get the kids in bed on time so they can get up and go to school. There's somebody else doing that same struggle. And they can challenge you, and they can encourage you, and they can press you on and say, come on, we can do this. Because that's what brothers and sisters do. Brothers and sisters encourage each other. Man, they cheer one another on. They push each other beyond their limits. They say, man, have you been reading your Bible? How's your quiet time going? Man, that's, how's your, what's the Lord been saying to you lately? And you're not getting that on your job, are you? How many of you go to work and have your supervisor come up to you and say, hey, did you do your quiet time today? <laughs> now, Melissa said you do that, Jonathan, so you blew my illustration right out of the box. I said, other than Jonathan. Nobody else is doing that, right? You're working a secular job. You're out there in the world. There's nobody challenging you in your faith. There's nobody encouraging you to pray more, to read your Bible more, to witness more, to lay hands on people and pray for There's nobody out there in the world doing that. But the church, we do it, right? In the church, we get spiritual brothers and sisters that begin to challenge us and encourage us, man, to begin to step out there and just do, keep doing what we're supposed to do. I don't really know how it's all going to end, but man, I know we're supposed to do this, so we're going to do it, and at the end, God's going to get the glory, and lives are going to be changed. We need that, and last but not least, brothers and sisters understand you. See, if you're in the middle of raising teenagers and maybe there's some challenges going on, man, there's nothing better than to talk to somebody else that's facing those same struggles. If you're raising babies that aren't sleeping at night, there's nothing better than to have somebody to call at 2 o'clock in the morning that you know they're not sleeping either. <laughs> hey, what you doing? Trying to get the baby back to sleep. Man, all of a sudden we begin to understand. They understand what you're going through. 
They understand the struggle. They understand the pain. They understand the challenges. And I found out a long time ago. See, I'm a guy and I like to fix things. Don't I, Kelly? I like to fix people, you know. So when I hear of a problem, I want to come up with a good biblical solution and we'll fix you. But I found out a long time ago, most people don't need to be fixed. They just want to be understood. And when they begin to understand, when they understand that you understand what they're going through, I don't know what it does, but somehow it brings a comfort and affirmation that I'm not all alone. And I can do this. Many of you know uh, Kelly's testimony. She battled with severe depression for 10 years. And every time she shares that story, ladies line up to talk to her. And it's not because what she said fixed them. It's because what she said connected with them and they realized, hey, there's somebody else that understands what I'm going through. And if God can heal her, God can heal me. And there's hope for us. Where else are you going to get that, guys? Nowhere. There's no other assembly that provides spiritual parents and spiritual brothers and sisters. Last one, Stephen's trying to help me. Isn't he doing good? You're doing good, Stephen. That's his job, by the way. I have him do it. Hey, anyway, he's got his earbuds. I said, you're trying to help me, and you're doing a really good job. Thank you very much. Some lady asked me one day, she said, why does that piano player go up there and start rushing you when you're preaching? I said, because I ask him to. So he's doing what I ask him to do. All right, last one. We need people behind us. We need people in front of us. We need people beside us. And then we need people behind us. And this one's huge. This, this is huge. And as a matter of fact, most people never stay connected to the church long enough to get here. Most people never stay connected to the church long enough to get here. Now, the reality is you don't have to be connected long to get here. Because if you got saved last week, there's somebody getting saved this week that you're ahead of. Right? But the reality is, is most people never stay connected long enough to get to this place because we need people behind us. We need sons and daughters in the faith. We need sons and daughters in the faith. And this is a critical area because it is in this arena that we grow up quicker, faster, better than in any other arena. It's amazing what happens in this arena. So let's talk about it. Three things when you have sons and daughters, what does that do in your life? Number one, it creates accountability. I've shared this story many times, but it's one of those stories that never leaves me. Pastor Rick, when he and Dusty came into the church before he was Pastor Rick, he was just Rick. Right? He was the guy that stood up in the back of our church one Sunday morning and said, God just set me free for crystal meth. That was him. And so Pastor Rick, or Rick comes to my office one day and he says, Pastor Keith, I just want to let you know. He said, me and Dusty, we weren't raised in a Christian home. He said, we don't have a model for what a Christian family is supposed to look at, so I just want you to know we're watching you. I thought, gee, thanks. And that little statement created accountability in me. Because every time I began to make a decision regarding my family or the decisions I was making in the church, I knew that those decisions were not just going to affect my family, they were going to affect his family because he was watching me. And all of a sudden it raised the bar of accountability that I'm not just making decisions for my family, I'm making decisions that are setting an example for other families. And so are you. 
accountability. When you start having sons and daughters in the faith, you start having people that are behind you that are now looking to you for direction. All of a sudden, it raises that bar of accountability. It says, you know what? I need to think about what I'm doing. I need to pray about what I'm doing. And what I, need, I, need to, I, need to, I need to just maybe slow down a little bit. Make sure the choices and decisions I'm making are the right ones. And then not only does, does sons and daughters create accountability, it creates ministry. Because now you become the mother or the father. And now it's your job to download into them like somebody downloaded into you. So now you get to love and affirm them and you get to correct and discipline them and you get to open doors of opportunity for them. And all of a sudden, your area of ministry just enlarged. See, I'm I'm convinced most Christians never know the full potential of their ministry because they never stay connected long enough to have sons and daughters. But when you start birthing sons and daughters in the faith and people start connecting to you and looking to you and following your example and your lead, all of a sudden it opens up a whole world of ministry where you get to love and affirm them and you get to correct and discipline them and you get to open doors of opportunity for them. And there's nothing greater than doing that. And then last but not least, maturity. How many of y'all remember when you had your first baby? Anybody remember that? If you forgot, something's wrong with you, right? I mean, here's what I know about having babies. It doesn't matter if you were 18 years old, 28 years old, or 38 years old, or if you were like Sarah and really old in the Bible. No matter how mature you thought you were, when you had a baby, you either had to grow up or get out. Right? Nothing matures you like a baby. I'll never forget me and Kelly left the hospital with Jessica. I was 20 years old. She was 19 years old. And we got in the car and started driving down the road. And she looked at me and said, Can you believe they just sent us home with a baby? We don't have any books. They didn't tell us anything. What are we going to do? Tell you what we had to do. We had to grow up. Right? You got to grow up. When you start having sons and daughters in the faith and you start leading other people that are behind you, I want to tell you something. That will grow you up quicker than anything. It will mature you. You either have to grow up or get out. One of the two. And this is, let me just say, this is, This is, I really believe, this phase is the key to real maturity. But again, most people don't stay connected long enough to see this happen. But if you and I begin to see that the church is irreplaceable, where are you going to get that? Nowhere but at the church. Where are you going to get spiritual moms and dads, brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters that really care about you and that want to grow in the things of God? Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere in this world will you find that apart from the church. Now let me give you one last thought. We're going to wrap up. So how do you become a part of God's family? Jesus said you must be born again. The same way you became a part of your natural family, It's the same way you become a God's family, and that is you have to be born again. You were born into your natural family or maybe adopted into your natural family, but in order to be a part of God's family, you have to be born again. Let me me give you a great thought. You don't join the church by joining the church. 
You join the church by joining Christ. And when you join Christ, Christ brings you into the family of God and now you're a part of the church. John chapter 3. I want to read it to you. We're going to close. The Bible says there was a religious man. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life, so don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. The Bible says we are dead in sin, separated from God, until we come to a place of faith where we trust that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day, and we're willing to surrender our lives to His Lordship. At that moment of faith, the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life and we are born again. There is a supernatural spiritual transformation that takes place on the inside of you. It's called the new birth. And once you get born again, you are a part of God's family.